Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Madeline Frazier, who is the CEO and founder of Gemist, a company that allows you to customize your jewelry to match your style. Prior to Gemist, she was the co-founder of Hutch, as well as a co-founder of Zoom Interiors. You can learn more about Gemist at gemist.co. And in this episode, we go through the incredible journey of Madeline, the companies she's founded along the way, fundraising millions of dollars to build these companies and really learning a lot through her journey as an entrepreneur, which she shares in this episode. So excited for you to check this one out. Truly a gem. Had to do it. Had to do it. As always, the show notes are justgogrind.com slash podcast. You can support the show by leaving a rating and review over in Apple Podcasts. And of course, the weekly grind. My weekly newsletter comes out every single Friday. Tips, tools, and strategies for growing a business can be found at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. Without further ado, here is Madeline Frazier, the CEO and founder of Gemist. Madeline, welcome to the show. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, excited to have you on and talk about Gemist. Uh, For people who aren't familiar, what is Gemist and how did this get started, Madeline? Sure. So Gemist is the first platform that allows you to fully customize jewelry of any type and actually try it on at home before you buy it. And I'm a three-time founder. I'm kind of one of those people, for better or for worse, when I find a problem, I have to solve it. (laughs) You can't decide if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but... Uh, it's it's taken me on this entrepreneurial path for the past seven years. And I saw a big problem in the jewelry industry actually when I tried to create my own custom ring when I was getting engaged. It was one of those things where I kind of thought Gemist already existed, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Like I went on Google and I was like, design jewelry and like <laughs> nothing happened. Or I found sites <laughs> that just didn't really do what I needed them to do. Um, the I found kind of that the world was really fragmented. You had kind of like your mass produced like Blue Niles, you know, these big companies that felt kind of like the Walmart of jewelry, or you kind of had like Tiffany, right? And I, I just yeah. felt like um, I couldn't really afford that. And, you know, I wasn't able to design anything online. And even if I could kind of get something in my cart, I couldn't actually see this product before making a decision on something pretty damn important in my opinion. And so I just couldn't pull the trigger. (laughs) And that's sort of what I went down the path of trying to find other solutions. And I sort of asked my mom's girlfriends who all live in LA and these are women who, you know, they happen to have family jewelers. And so I got a few numbers of guys. It's like, Oh, I've got a guy. And uh, the first one that called me back, exactly. I've got a guy. I was like, okay, called a few random numbers. First one who called me back, I was like, I'll be there tomorrow. I'm just so over it. I'd already been looking for months and uh, went downtown to in LA, which if you're from LA, you understand it's kind of like a different world down there uh, and felt very overwhelmed, went into kind of a shoebox little office and sat down with my partner and this random dude. And he was like, what do you want? And I was like, uh, okay. Like, and I literally drew the ring on a piece of paper. It was the weirdest experience and uh, gave him cash. And I was just like, we want, left being like, are we ever going to see this ring? <laughs> sort of oh how we gosh. felt. And uh, anyway, I got the ring in a few weeks and it was the most beautiful ring ever. It was totally me. It was exactly what I wanted. And it was a fraction of the price that I had seen elsewhere. And that was when the light bulb went off because I recognized that we had a viable product. We just had to change the process 
right? And that's literally what I do for a living. And so the wheel started turning and I was a woman possessed. <laughs> and once that happens, you can't stop me. <laughs> oh my gosh. There's so much to dig into. We have to go back because you mentioned being a three-time founder and seeing seeing problems that are out there, wanting to solve them. Where did that begin for you as like the first time you founded a company? Sure. So um, I'm from LA. I ended up going to college in DC at GW. Um, but before that, I actually lived in India for a year teaching art. And that was really my first time ever doing anything 100% from scratch. I created an art program um, in India alone. And it was this uh, very scary thing to do as an 18-year-old, but at the same time, incredibly empowering. And it just kind of showed me that I could do anything, sort of. You know, I was like, can't stop me if I did that. And so I end up coming to GW in DC, and all of a sudden, I'm come from living a year alone in India, right? To, to like, you know, people are being like, are you going to join a sorority? And I'm like, oh, shit, yeah. no, uh, I can't. Like, right, it was, it was very hard for me to transition back into, like, normal college life. And so I was a fine art major. I'm an artist. I'm a very creative person. But I wasn't being challenged in that space at, the, at that time. And I was also having trouble making friends as a freshman with everything I'd experienced under my belt. And so I found the architecture, the interior architecture program at GW, which is like not really promoted that much. It's a smaller program. And it was kind of what I needed to ground me and to focus me and to get me excited about something. Um, and so I joined that my second semester of freshman year. And I ended up meeting my first two co-founders of my first business in my very first architectural drafting class which was crazy, you know, how one door closes, <laughs> another opens. And yeah. um, we were these kind of token design kids, right? So GW's uh, liberal arts, but it's a lot of people are in e-com, poli-sci, things like that. So from a design perspective, we were kind of the girls who did that and we were known for that. And so when all of our friends were moving out of their dorms and into their first apartments, we were the people they came to. And a lot of it was just text messaging. They'd say, hey, Madeline, you know, I, I have three weeks and I have $1,000. I don't really want to go to Ikea. Can you help me make a cool space? And we just kind of realized we started doing it for fun. And then one referral and then another referral and then 10 referrals and 20 referrals. And <laughs> slowly but surely, we like weirdly had this like strange business um, that we hadn't really put a name on yet. So eventually we ended up uh, creating the very first online interior design platform. And it, it was called Zoom Interiors. And it was it worked because it was niche. It catered to college students, young working professionals. Um, and this was in like 2012, 2013, when that, nothing was really online. Like I would tell people about the idea and they'd say, you're insane. No one's ever going to buy a sofa online. What are you talking about? I'd be like, yeah. uh, okay, like look what, what the world we live in today, right? Yeah. And so it was one of those, I think I was, I was like 22. Just, you know, it's like you're just, you're young and you're so excited. And I think being naive is what you kind of need to start your first company a little bit, right? Because if you think too much about it, <laughs> you might not do it. Yeah. And so it was just, we just dove in head first all together. And I still best friends with my co-founders. And it was just this really crazy roller coaster. Um, but I ended up uh, getting the company on Shark Tank. Oh, wow. If you ever want to see an embarrassing video of me, <laughs> you can Google that. How did that come along, Madeline? So I'm uh, always thinking about how to get uh, 
eyeballs for free. That's something I think a lot about how to scale a company without spending a ton of money. And so I'm a very persistent person. I'm a very outgoing person. And uh, we were like, I think I was in my cafeteria or something, but I saw a Shark Tank episode kind of out of the corner of my eye. And it was three boys pitching a company and they were college kids. It was some like moving company. And I, lo and behold, were three college girls with our company and it just clicked. I was like, well, what the hell? If they can get on the show, I sure as hell can, right? Right. And um, of course, everyone's like, you're insane. You can't just like get on Shark Tank. What are you talking about? And I'm like, okay, watch me. And so I just, uh, I got super persistent. I figured out who I knew, how to get to XYZ casting person. And I just sent the most amount of emails you could ever imagine. I made us take photos of ourselves. <laughs> it was the whole thing. I had to pitch this, right? And I, yeah. I just, I knew I just had a feeling and I finally, at about a, after about a month, I got a phone call from one of the producers. And she was like, thank you for your persistence because we love Zoom Interiors. We love you guys. And guess what? We're actually uh, like looking at the first 100 companies right in front of the production team before the 300,000 applications come in. If you get me a video in 24 hours, I'm going to put you in that slot. And oh. I was like, okay. So we like, made this really hilarious video like edited on iMovie and then sent it in and uh and we got on the show it was for season five I think now they're on like season 10 or something um that's amazing but it was just one of those crazy crazy things when you take a risk and and you dive in head first a lot of times it pays off and to your point of getting visibility for free yes it's such an amazing thing where you can pull that off and spending the time to be creative really can pay dividends. Obviously it worked in this case, not everyone will get on Shark Tank, but just that mentality, I think is important just to highlight kind of that point you made. And when you got on Shark Tank then, I mean, how did that affect the business? It was great. I mean, it was awesome. It, it, it gave us a huge spike in consumers. It kind of put us on the map, like as an actual company. And even more than that, it actually provided us pretty amazing advisors. Uh, so we didn't actually take the money from the show. So it's a handshake deal. You don't, um, you can say yes on the show. You don't have to take it after, right? Because then there's a nego an, an extra negotiation, which makes sense. Uh, yeah. And we just sort of decided that it wasn't necessarily the right fit. Totally parted ways amicably. But Barbara Corbin was the the woman who quote unquote invested on the show, and she was lovely. And uh, anyway, we I get a Facebook message from Sean Rad, the founder of Tinder, like the day after uh, Shark Tank aired, and he was like. I think he was not, he was like in the interim. I don't think he was CEO of Tinder anymore at that point. And I think he was just looking for interesting projects and yeah. he loved the concept. He thought we were great. And he said, I'd love to talk to you guys uh, and I'd love to help you. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> wow. All right. So I, mean, I, guess, yeah. <laughs> uh, I was like, okay, do you want to get on? Let's get on a call. So myself and my co-founder Beatrice, we, we get on this call with him and we were living in Philadelphia at the time running the business. And, uh, kind of pinching ourselves thinking, what does this guy want, right? Like, is this going to work yeah. out or not? And he just turned out to be the most lovely person, such a smart, um, fantastic human being. And he was like, are you guys going to be in LA anytime soon? And of course, we like live, we were like, oh, yeah, we're coming next week. Totally, we'll be there. <laughs> and ended up having lunch with him in LA, like, literally, like, spent all of our money Amazing. to get there. And, uh, and it turned out he became um, the chairman of our board and one of our number one advisors for our second business, Hutch, uh, which was an evolution of Zoom Interiors, but much more focused through technology, creating 
really an app and experience for consumers to create and design their own bedrooms and rooms uh, through an app without working with an interior designer. So then that took us on a whole other journey, which was kind of essentially the second business. How did that transition then happen from Zoom Interiors to, to Hutch? Uh, essentially, we just took all the data, everything that we had learned from growing that company. I didn't raise any money for it at all. I mean, it was just a bootstrapped business. I don't think at the time I even knew you could raise money for anything. Right? I mean, like, if you think about how young I was and just like, you're just doing it for fun, essentially. Well, the world's changed too. I mean, it's way more prevalent and known about fundraising and it's publicized a bit That's more. a good point. And, That's very yeah. true, actually. I'm yeah. Get back you up a bit. Okay, yeah. thank you. That makes me feel better. And so. <laughs> We just, uh, we, we took all of that and we rolled it into this new platform and this new project. Uh, and we finally had an advisor to kind of show us the ropes and um, teach us, right? Because we were, we were learning as we were going, but it's not like we knew everything. And I think that's probably how every founder feel, feels, whether you go to business school or you don't. Um, I think you just can't learn, you can't learn all of it in the classroom, right? And we did not actually go to business school. So we were coming from a more creative side of the brain. Um, and anyway, it was just such an incredible learning experience to, to go through that. With that business then, so with Hutch, you you had experience at least running a business. You hadn't raised funding for, for Zoom Interiors, but you had experience running a business. Mm-hmm. You go into Hutch, you have the data, you have some other things to work with. Now you have, obviously went through the Shark Tank, you went through Shark Tank, you have an advisor. How did you look at building this company with Hutch? I know you you raised some funding. How was that something you thought from the beginning we needed to raise funding for this? That's kind of what what Sean advised, right? And I think we we were on board. We were excited about that idea. And you know, he knew investors and he knew how to help us and and he kind of just like held our hands through that process. And we just learned like, I mean, we learned so much. Uh, and we did a lot of things wrong and a lot of things right and uh, through that process, we ended up coming up with a mantra that I still use with Gemist and my team today, and that was uh, fail fast, fix fast, learn fast. And it was just what we realized. We couldn't do everything perfect, right? We were going to fail a lot. We were going to screw up a lot because there is no rule book in any of this, right? It's not like you can just follow three things and then you have this magic company. And, but what we realized was as long as we were moving quickly, right, as long as we were able to pivot, as long as we were agile, and as long as we never really made the same mistake twice, that was a win that equaled a success, right? And so once we got into that mentality, things got easier. Uh, And it took, you know, it took a a solid year for us to really realize what that meant, right? Um, Especially as you were growing a team and you're, you know, hiring people and and bringing on investors, you're building this family, essentially, right? Um, And so we just, I was lucky because my co-founders were such good friends of mine at the same time, right? And so um, we had that support system with each other, which was really, really a beautiful thing. I always, when I'm mentoring other founders, first-time founders, I do always recommend to have a co-founder, um, you know, a, a someone that you can really trust that you can lean on and that has different strengths and weaknesses than yourself. Um, it's hard to do this on your own, you know, and, and yeah. until, until you're ready. With Gemis, I am the only founder and I'm loving it right now. It's actually incredibly empowering, but that's where I'm at in my life and in my career, um, that's not to say I would never bring on a co-founder, but it's just kind of where I am right now. And that's good too. So, yeah, yeah there's multiple ways to run a business mm-hmm. and depending on the business itself as well, that 
can dictate if you need a co-founder as well, depending on what it is. Yeah. And having just interviewed and talked to a lot of different entrepreneurs, there's examples of both, you know, examples of both solo founders, people who have one co-founder, two co-founders. It, it really depends on a lot of different factors. And like you said, where you're at in your life as well. With Hutch, take me through just to dive a little bit deeper on the co-founders. How are you thinking about what each person was going to be doing in the business? How are you going to be working together? I'm curious about that. Uh, yeah, so we we sort of just divided based on our strengths. Uh, where we were different people, you know, had different strengths. Definitely all more on the creative side. So we did bring on a CTO um, as a fourth co-founder. So we knew we needed that tech side, um, and then we brought on a product manager, things like that. So for UX UI and and all that good stuff. And then um, between the three of us, we sort of divided and conquered. So uh, Lizzie was my other co-founder. She really was our creative director, so she handled really the brand um, and the look and feel of the business. Uh, I really dove mainly into marketing, BD, you know, all of that type of stuff, uh, press, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of perfect for that type of a role. Um, and then yeah. B handled more of the business side. So we sort of just, I don't know, we just kind of, it all happened like very quickly. And then everyone just like fell into their roles. And plus when you're in a startup anyway, it's not really like you like define your roles perfectly. I mean, on paper, they're defined, but everyone's doing a million things, you know, so yeah, <laughs> we just we just evolved that I think over time and, and kind of fit fit where we needed to fit. Yeah. And one thing I want to go back to, I know you had you had Sean helping on the fundraising side, but I still want to talk about the funding just because women in VC, especially they just receive a lot less VC funding than, yeah. than, than men typically. So how was that for you fundraising then for, for Hutch? Yeah, it's not easy. Um, it's not to say it's impossible. Uh, you know, I, I want women to hear that. You can do it. It is totally possible. Um, if you're a first-time founder, it's very hard though, right? Um, yeah. So you do need that. You kind of need that advisor person. I'm not exactly sure we would be able to do what we had done without Sean by our side, to be completely honest with you. Um, yeah. And and that's just the name of the game, right? It's 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 having no ego. I think is something that um, I think a lot about. Uh, women don't necessarily have the ego thing that men have a lot of the time. Not to say that men always have an ego, but there is something dominant there. Um, and we just never had that, right? So when we were approached by someone like Sean, we were like, of course, help us. You're amazing. Thank you, right? It wasn't like, oh no, we yeah. can do it ourselves. Like whatever. It was, <laughs> it was very team oriented, um, we were always looking for advice, always seeking and and wanting to absorb. We were like sponges. We were just like learning how to do this better because we recognized that we were naive in a lot of ways, right? And I, I think that was what helped us so much, you know. Um, now with Jemis, for example, I'm able to do it on my own because I have the track record. I understand how to do it. And it's actually been incredibly empowering for me to be able to do it on my own without anybody helping me. Um, and now I have this amazing, fantastic group of my first round investors that are my support system and are my new family, right? <laughs> and are the people yeah. that are going to help me raise more money, right? As we grow the business. And, you know, it gets, it doesn't necessarily get easier, but it gets more, um, you understand how to do it more, right? Because you're wiser, you're older and wiser, essentially. And so, um, you just, it's nothing that you can read about and just like learn. You just have to do it. <laughs> um, you just, you learn, everything is different. Every conversation is different. Every round of funding is different. 
it's incredibly complicated, right? How you can raise money and, and all the different legal paperwork that you have to go through and write all the whole, all the hoops <laughs> you have to jump through um, and how to sell someone from a psychological perspective, right? From an emotional perspective, how to create um, fear of missing out, right? How to create urgency. Um, these are all very interesting things. So it's, it's, I actually really love it. Uh, I find it as, as tough as it is, cause you have to have a thick skin cause a hundred people will say no to you, but yeah. you have to remember you only need one person to say yes. Right. Um, that's, you find that one person to say yes. And that's the right person. Right. Yeah. So it's interesting. And I, yeah, I wanted to, uh, we're going to get to Jamison in just one second, but I want to go th- with Hutch then just to kind of wrap things up on that. Yeah. You start this business with great co-founders. You've raised over the course of time, at least according to Crunchbase, $17 million for that business. What were you able to uh, accomplish with Hutch in that three and a half years you were, you were there? Yeah, we grew it. We grew it really quickly. Um, we had amazing partners like Zillow and we were able to create such a beautiful platform for interior design. Um, it was really one of the first of its kind. And it was just incredible to be able to see see that growth um, and, and see it through. And you know, I, I wasn't there toward the last few years of the business because I did decide to start Genis, which was pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, I never really thought I would necessarily like walk away from something. Uh, but, you know, I think I think when you're an entrepreneur and this is why I've had a lot of like, you know, of my mentors and my other entrepreneur friends who have started multiple companies, they sort of say at a certain point, like you kind of if you find something else it, and you have founders that can like hold the fort down, it's OK to walk away. It's OK to take a step back. Um, and that's what I ended up doing with Gemis. But um, I only look back with fondness on my time at Hutch and growing the company. I learned so much about myself, about how to run a team, about how to grow and scale a tech platform, um, and really how to cater to the consumer, right? How to talk to the consumer, how to convert the consumer, um, and how to kind of like understand that journey of how they go from A to Z. And so uh, it was just such a, I feel so lucky to be able to have had that experience and to just like, do the job that I do. I sometimes I can't believe it, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Having that growth and having that experience. uh, Yeah. It leads into what you're doing now. And how, how did you come to that transition point of going from Hutch to wanting to start something else? I know there's, there's other people who can be listening who are either have companies or in a similar spot who are wondering about starting something new. I know there's people I've talked to who have sold companies and are thinking of that next step for you though. How did you transition to Gemist? So, I had the idea, first of all. I had the idea probably a year before I even decided to leave Hutch. Um, and so I I was just so in awe of the idea. And I was like, every <laughs> little moment of free time, which was minimal, that I had, I was thinking about yeah. this other company. <laughs> and anytime I was talking to someone else, it would come up in conversation. I was, I was like doing research without even knowing it, right? Oh, like, what was yeah. your experience when this happened to you and blah, 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 right? And I just, I, I realized that like, like a little bit of my passion was taken away from, from my baby, which was Hutch. And it was shifting toward this other idea. Um, and, you know, I think the other thing I definitely felt like I was, I was ready. I'd had years under my belt and I was, I was ready to, to kind of take something and do it on my own. Right. I think what does become exhausting is, is having a lot of co-founders, right? As it's like you, you kind of, they're kind of like your siblings, right? There's so much <laughs> yeah. love. It's, 
disgusting because you love each other so much you can't even handle it but then you also like kind of hate each other (laughs) in those moments right and so you know I think I was also feeling like hey I think I'm ready to start something on my own and even though that's really scary like that's also really cool you know and so finally I decided to do it it was very very scary it was like that huge leap of faith um (laughs) but it was I think really the right decision I'm very happy yeah, and you've been there at least on paper since January. Uh, but yeah, obviously you were working on in your mind. You had just had conversations before then. But then transitioning to a new business, a new business idea. You're excited about Gemist. You you want to make this happen. What was kind of the first thing? Was it? You, did you know that you needed funding right away? Did you not have to think about that instantly? Like where did you start with Gemist then? Yeah. So actually, once I left Hutch, I I took about um, three months off, and I got married. And I just, I needed a break too, right? So if you are someone who is is a founder and you've just spent a chunk of your life grinding, allow yourself to take a break too, because I think you need that clarity to like really hone in on what that idea is, what that concept is, how does it feel to you? Uh, and, And that was meaningful to me because it got me um, really excited, even more excited about about that path and about the concept. Um, so I kind of started Gemis with a lot of clarity and with like this sense of calm. Like I was like relaxed when I started it, which I think was really interesting. And the first thing that I always tell any founder to do is you've got to make a pitch deck, right? So that's basically your business plan. You have to put it on paper and you have to just get it out of your brain so that somebody else can look at it and tell you that, and tell you what they think. Right. So that's the first thing I've always ever done um, when starting any business. And it just it helps you understand. It helps you understand how to sell it. Right. Um, And then the second thing is you should definitely figure out, um, you know, if other people agree with the problem you're solving. Right. So make sure that, you know, there are there is a pain point. Make sure that it does resonate with your demographic that you're thinking of targeting. Um, And through building a pitch deck, you're going to go through everything from how much money you need to raise, what your actual concept is, what's your competition look like, right? What's the market? What's the demo? Um, That will push you to think about all of those elements. Um, And then once you feel good about it, you just have to start having conversations, right? It's like, don't wait, don't sit around. I'm I'm always saying like, even when when you're building the company, you're not going to like perfect anything. There's no, perfect is not a word that exists in this lifetime, in my opinion, (laughs) and definitely (laughs) not in a startup. Um, (laughs) And so you can't, if I just, you can't wait around, you have to just start doing it. And it's, I get it. It's scary, but you have to take that big leap of faith and just start having those conversations. So um, for me, I knew I wanted to raise money because I had done it before. I knew that I needed capital. I did spend a little bit of my own money though, making sure that I had at least a prototype, you know, the platform, spending my own time, getting the deck together, understanding that sell. Um, but I did it really affordably. You know, I designed a very basic version of the app. We put it on principle, which is like an app that you can click through, but it's not actually an app. Right. So I had, I prototyped it for the cheapest thing that you can do. Right. But you can't just go and pitch nothing. Right. You have to actually (laughs) have something to show people. And then I started actually making some jewelry downtown, learning what that was like. Like I started like understanding that whole world because I'm not a jewelry person at all Um, and started building all of the components. And then once I had that ready, I felt like, okay, I can, I can sell this now. I can go have conversations with investors. Um, And then that was interesting because that's just, again, like 
really warm leads. So again, I was lucky. I had a ton of connections already. Um, and I just, you know, but I was networking, I was going out there, I was meeting people. And um, I got a few angel investors to give me my first few checks. And then, and then I got a few uh, venture capital uh, firms to give me my next few checks. And then I started building that family and that team right around me of people who supported me and believed in me and wanted to see the vision of Gemis thrive and, and survive. Right. And, uh, and then we were kind of just off to the races, but it's, you know, I raised incrementally. I didn't just like all of a sudden have $2 million or whatever. Right. It was definitely a little different than with Hutch. Uh, again, it was definitely easier because of the support we had. Um, but, but Hey, I did it, you know, and we're, we're going. So it's good. (laughs) It's a real thing. You've made yeah, it happen, which is happening. great. And not another business. How is this, you know, being on the third one now, how has this been different? You've already talked a little bit more, a little bit about it with being a solo founder and some of the things you have an advantage of now because you have the network built out, you have experience. But as you've gone through this the last year plus, how has this experience for you been different than the other companies? Oh, man. I think one thing that's been really interesting is diving into an an area that I actually don't know anything about. So I know a lot about tech. I know a lot about creating an idea and executing an idea. I don't, I did not know anything about jewelry. Isn't that interesting? Like, like literally, literally nothing. Um, And I technically, the company started in July of 2018. That was like the incorporation date of Gemis. So I've technically been doing this for almost two years. I don't think I read, yeah. I didn't raise money for a little bit, but that was like when I just was like, like I'm getting this going I'm getting this started. Um, and so I just had to like go downtown and like figure it out. If that makes sense. Right. I, I definitely yeah. looked stuff up and, t- and I tried to find people that knew about jewelry. Right. So I'd have coffee with a few different people and I'd find out who knew what, and I went to a few different jewelers and I just started like absorbing all of that information And it was super overwhelming because I had to like find manufacturers and figure out how to do all of it. Right. And that was a trip. Right. But I had done a lot of the merchandising for Hutch. um, So I was also the one who like went to all the wholesale furniture shows and got all of those people signed and got all those people to believe in us. Um, And so I'm, I am good at that. I'm good at just kind of like in a very scrappy way, getting people who initially say no to you to eventually say yes. Right. And so, because, you know, it's hard, it's like, you're, you're like, Oh, do you want to take on like my little company that like hasn't made a sale yet, but like maybe could be humongous, please. Right. (laughs) You know, so it's one of those, those crazy things. And so I was lucky I had a lot of amazing people take a, take a risk on me. Um, and, and then we were sort of off to the races, but I mean, I probably went through a few different manufacturers until I found like my, my core team. You know, you, you test people and, and you kind of, there's, it's an up and down situation all the time. Yeah. And for others wondering, or others looking for manufacturers for a product and in a similar position, at least in terms of, I'm just getting started with this thing. Where do I begin? I mean, what would you tell them? Or at least what was your experience with trying to find manufacturers and not having any experience with, with jewelry? Yeah. You just, you got to find people who know more than you. So that was really helpful. So I've definitely found people who were already in the industry who could lead me in the right direction. Um, And then I think it was just also hitting the pavement, right? So not being afraid to pick up the phone and call someone, which I think like nowadays nobody does, but I do. And, uh, you know, like just going there, like knocking on the door. If they're not calling you back, go there, you know? Um, And again, 
now we're stuck at home, but <laughs> whatever this <laughs> crazy time. Damn it, um, COVID. <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> I, I don't know. I just, I think um, you, the thing is you have to let go of fear, right? And, um, and that's a really hard thing to do. And, and I mean, I mean the fear that that paralyzes you, the fear that stops you from, from moving forward. I'm always scared, right? I'm always, there's butterflies, there's anxiety. I totally get sweaty all the time because I have to have a scary conversation with XYZ human, right? But I do it, right? You just got to do it. And yeah. and that's and that's the thing. Like you just, you have, if you're going to be a founder, if you're going to start something, if you're going to innovate and disrupt an industry, you can't really give a crap about being afraid. You have to embrace it and push through it and move through it, Right. And, and you just have to make things happen because guess what? The worst that anyone can say to you is no, then you're really back to where you were anyway. Right. Yeah. So it's not like you actually go backward. You just like could stay neutral is kind of how I think about it. <laughs> yeah. There's actually a limited risk. It's totally. just, there's only upside. There's only there's upside only to upside. asking. 100%. My mom always used to say that she had this uh, magnet on a refrigerator when I was growing up and it was a quote by Eleanor Roosevelt that said, do one thing every day that scares you. Mm, yep. And it's like, I, I love it. I still think about that all the time. And she was someone who really instilled that in me and, and was kind of like, well, just go out there and do it. You know, you can, you can do it, you know? And I think, I think about that sometimes. I'm like, did I do something? Not that scared me, but that put me out of my comfort zone today. You know, I do think about yeah. that a lot. It reminds me, I just interviewed someone, uh, Javier Laval. He he had started a company, Android, Android um, Ohm, and it was a, a, a streetwear company. And you know, I asked him about how like he did all these different things he had no experience with. He just like becoming a master of Google and then just figuring things out. You know, you just start asking one person and start asking another and start researching something else. And then, you know, then he found his manufacturer in, in China and then he figures, oh, we need to move to a different factory in like Italy or something because this is better quality. And you just figure it out one step at a time. But to your point, it's just like doing things that scare you and putting yourself out there to make it happen. That's what it takes. And that's just how you're going to end up making it as an entrepreneur in your business uh, is taking those risks. And with Gemis then over the you know last almost two years now, what has helped you grow? Like what's helped the company grow over that time? I think that you kind of hit the nail on the head. It's like that curiosity, right? And, and that desire to learn and to absorb information and for me, that's not just from a manufacturing side, it's from everything. And it's mostly from a consumer perspective. So every month I actually get on the phone with over 20 of our consumers because I want to know what happened to them, why they bought something, <laughs> yeah. why they didn't, why they actually enjoy Jemis, right? Whatever it is, I need to understand that. And I've always said, like, I'm not somebody who knows anything. Honestly, like I have a hunch, I have an idea. I think I'm like sort of onto something, right? I'm going to get it to maybe 80%, but the consumer is what's is what's going to get it to 100%, right? They're they're going to help me get there and I'm going to build something for them, right? That's meaningful to them and that is something that they're going to end up loving and using in their life, right? To make their life easier. Um and that's always been a philosophy for me and it's something that I think has been really really meaningful and helpful in the growth of Gemis. And in the way that we've been able to pivot, the way that we've been able to um, create this platform, like it's, it's really because we listen to the consumer, 
with that, listening to consumer and using those kind of insights to then dictate what you may do with with the business too, then I'm curious just to think about your business model in general and letting people try before they buy. How did that, was that always something from the, the beginning that you knew exactly how you wanted to execute on that or has that changed since the beginning? Yeah, a lot's changed. So this is funny. So um, had a totally different name of the company before I launched. Okay. It was supposed to be called, I'm not even going to tell you actually. We just need oh no, well, you can't just do that. Okay, Madeline. Come on. Okay. So it was going to be called the ring, the ring co the ring company. And okay. um, because I was going to do it all around rings because that was my pain point, And it was going to be only for engagement rings. Like that's it. Super niche, which is like super niche. A yeah. lot of times like when founder, the whole founder thing, like everyone's always like be really hyper-focused, like go super niche, like blah, blah, blah. Right. And um, so in my head, I was like, that makes sense. Like, I can't tackle everything. Like, let's just start there. So that's what I like raise my first checks on. Okay. And then we, we, get, we get it off the ground. We build it. And then we launch it into beta. So we launch it into beta in uh, May of 2019. And it's like called a different, it's called a different name and it's only engagement rings. Okay. And yeah. so we started testing this and, you know, we're not putting a lot of money behind it because in beta for me, that's like, how do I get my first? thousand diehard users for free that's how i think right and i'm like yeah how do i do that right and it's just okay word of mouth events like we were doing a ton of different fun stuff creative stuff right to get that going referrals blah 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 so guess what the feedback was it was crazy i was so it was so interesting everyone was like this is awesome i totally dig what you're building i so understand it i'm really excited about it. and we had a try on element but they'd be like but i'm single uh, or I'm married, right? Like finding the exact human being at the right time in their life, like to buy an engagement ring was like, turned out to be like too niche, right? Super niche. <laughs> Super yeah, that's, niche, that's right? <laughs> and then like, people were like, but like, so like, where are like the other rings? And like, do you have earrings? Or like, can I get a necklace? Right? Like that was right. what the feedback was. And I was like, oh, like, I just had this like moment. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, I have to change the name of the company for sure. Because this is going to be about well, yeah. all jewelry types. And this is going to be like way bigger than I thought. And I got like so excited and also like, like almost threw up, right? Because you're just <laughs> like, oh God, there's a lot happening. And finally, yeah. I, we were in beta, we were getting ready to launch. And I was like, I am not launching with this name. This is wrong. I need to change this, right? And I was like, well, what the hell do I name the company? Like, yeah. ugh, like naming is annoying. And so I went, finally like went on this hike by myself and I just, I just went in nature and I kind of started thinking about it. Um, and I had a few weird names kind of put together. And then Gemis was something that we had played around. The team had played around with during like a working session. We were just coming up with names and it started really resonating with me because it's actually very meaningful to what we're building. So gem, so you're a gem, right? That means you're such a unique, amazing human being to me personally, right. right? You're a gem. You're a gem, right? Then IST, I-S-T, actually literally means the follower of a movement, okay? Mm. Feminist, scientist, artist, whatever, right? Like that sure. is somebody who follows something. So it felt to me like Gemist totally embodied what we're building. This, this product around customizing and designing your own jewelry that's unique to you because you're a gem, right? And, and doing it differently, right? Creating a movement within jewelry design that, that is unique to you, right? That does empower the consumer to design something on their own. Um, and that does things differently. That shakes up an industry that's been incredibly traditional for a very, very long time. 
um, and, and thinks outside of the box and has a unique point of view and a unique voice and a unique brand and, and has power behind it. And so like, that's when I was like, Gemis is perfect. And so then we changed like everything within like a week. I was like, okay, engineers, let's go. Here we go. And we just uh, like moved super fast. And then we, then we launched with that name. I think we maybe two weeks before we launched, we changed the name, launched in November to press. And then we were kind of off to the races and then COVID happened, which was crazy. Um, this has been a oh, wild ride. Thing. Yeah. That little thing. <laughs> that yeah. little thing. How has that impacted the business? Um, so it's actually, the business is doing incredibly well because we're a digital platform and, and because we bring the retail store to you. So Gemis is kind of like the perfect thing for COVID. We were doing well before that because it's kind of the perfect thing for like the millennial demographic and the demographic that like doesn't want to just go to a retail store for everything. Right. Um, yeah. but this has, this has made a need out of it, like a, a very serious need. So we're doing better than ever. It's pretty interesting. Great. Yeah. It, it is it is fascinating to see how yeah, how COVID has impacted different businesses and some are clearly struggling which which is terrible and some that you would you would think and there's others that are doing surprisingly well where you wouldn't necessarily think think so and uh, one that I'm getting, I'm thinking another example was Chad Hall with her model mate where they they were so concerned about COVID because they're doing remodels at homes but now they're finding that people have this extra income that they're not spending on trips and everything, or then they remodel a bathroom or do something, you know, so it's just like, you don't know for sure what's going to happen, but, uh, being adaptable to that situation. And thankfully it's been great for Gemis, uh, and, yeah. uh, you're able to still continue to grow. And one thing with that on the kind of the growth side, like, how are you looking at customer acquisition? How are you looking at growing from literally acquiring your users, getting the word out? I know you mentioned you love to try to get people for free. How have you been going about that? Yeah, yeah. So um, really it comes from like the core of the brand and and how we and our brand voice and what we're trying to put out there. And and really it's rooted in the power of design, right? Um, and so we've been really fortunate in that I think our brand is definitely very different than what you would sense as like a normal jewelry brand. So when we are competing against other people in our category, we do stand out, which is one thing that I think is is lucky and it's great. And that's the type of brand I wanted to build anyway. Um, so when yeah. you are thinking about digital marketing and, and customer acquisition, you do need to take a very strong standpoint on what you believe in, why you believe in it, and what your brand actually has to say. And if you can do that, you really can actually stand out from the noise, right? Um, and so we've been fortunate in that our brand is that powerful, which is great. Um, we've also been fortunate in the fact that I just have an amazing team um, of people who are really way smarter than me and are, you know, this is what they do for a living. This is what they live, breathe, uh, create. And it's been so interesting to be able to sort of just test different channels and see what's working and what's not working. And we've been very fortunate to not have to spend a ton on advertising. Um, but then we have been able to really scale and grow the business, which has been fantastic. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it goes to show the power of brand and no understanding where your advantages are within that. And uh, that allows you to do some different things. And especially with how just how competitive it is with customer yeah. acquisition across different channels, especially. And uh, it's just so difficult to stand out unless you have something else, something different, something unique uh, that helps you to stand out. And as you've kind of gone about Gemis growing this business, what is kind of the big vision for it now looking forward? Yeah. So um, I don't know if you've seen the recent press about us, but one of our newest investors is De Beers Diamonds. Yep. And 
huge. That, that, yeah, pinching myself a little bit over here. Um, that was such an interesting experience. Um, talk about a powerful experience to be able to pull that off for me personally. Um, yeah. Because, and also just to to connect with a company that actually felt more on the corporate side, but turns out is incredibly innovative and fantastic and amazing in terms of sustainability and all of their things that they're doing. I just am so in awe of them. Um, and I'm excited about that partnership because I actually think with, with a partner like that behind us, with, with what they're building, we can actually help them tell a new kind of natural diamond story. Um, that's rooted in sustainability and we can kind of get away from this whole crazy, you know, conversation around blood diamonds and sure. lab grown diamonds. And it's very confusing, right? Like this whole thing around jewelry in general is, is overwhelming bottom line. And so what, what we're doing to work with them is to really strip that back, simplify it, make it easy under, to understand and allow consumers to actually create their own jewelry that is meaningful to them, right? With the stones they want with the, the look and feel that they want um, in a beautiful, seamless process, right? And so, yeah. you know, the the future of Gemis is really an omni-channel jewelry company. And, you know, digital is going to be one of our plays, but we're actually building out other platforms right now that are going to be really exciting and interesting as we grow and scale the model. One of them is actually a very unique uh, and different jewelry, in-person jewelry retail experience. Um, which I'm super excited about, which we're going to start testing hopefully in Q4. Um, I think that there's just so many different ways that we can grow the business. And I'm just personally very excited that we have such a powerful team behind us to help us do that, which is great. Yeah. And just taking a step back, mm -hmm. De Beers is obviously a huge, a huge thing. How did that come about? Even take me through that. I think people obviously want to know, but I'm also curious on how that is a huge thing for you and the company. How did that go for you? Yeah. So when you're a founder, you're pitching a ton of people, like so many people. And um, when you're in pitch mode, I mean, I would sometimes have 10, 15 calls a day, like literally back to back to back to back. Oof. And you're just like a powerhouse. Okay. You just got to just, you're just accepting that fact. And that is like your life for a few months. Um, and so I was actually in diligence with a fund based in the UK. And they asked me if I would talk to um, a few people in the diamond industry. And that's kind of common. Like, you know, they kind of wanted to vet me through their friends, I guess, right? And see if these people uh, thought that the concept was valid, right? So yeah. uh, the first call I had was was not with De Beers. It was with someone else. I don't even remember who, who the person was. But it was the worst call of my life. Like, it was, <laughs> it went so bad, so, so bad. It was just um, somebody who did not understand at all what I was building, was kind of mad about what I was doing, like, just didn't get it, like, didn't want the innovation to happen like it was just kind of an old school person who was like no basically to me and the whole idea to shut it down so hard so then like the next day I had this call scheduled with De Beers and I'm thinking oh no like how is this going to go any better than that call right so I remember being like so nervous because I was like why would De Beers think this is going to be in you know how are they <laughs> going to get behind my crazy idea right and I get on the phone with uh Stephen Lestier who's now on our board and and he's he's like a huge leader at the beers and the nicest human ever. And it was like, I was so nervous. I was like sweating. I was just like, hi, okay. I'm just going to dive in and tell you this. Right. I was like, I have nothing to lose here. And he was with me. We went to outer space together, man. I mean, we just went, he was on that vision track with me so quickly. And I, we had like an hour of conversation and it just went so great. Like you just click with somebody 
And um, he just like got it and understood it and understood the need and understood the innovation behind it. And by the end of the call, I'm just thinking, okay, I hope he gives me like a good review to like this other person. He goes, yeah. oh, by the way, De Beers is starting in a venture fund. I think you'd be perfect for it. And I was like, okay, what? You know, and uh, and I was like, all right. And then again, like that, that just comes back to persistence. Um, you know, you, you have to follow up with people. That's very, very important because these people are super busy. And, you know, unless you keep kind of bothering them in a nice way, they might not get you from point A to point B, right? And so I, I just took the opportunity very seriously and I made sure that we got the next call moving and that I got to the right people and that I kept that ball rolling and I kept one phone call led to another phone call led to another phone call. We had a lot of phone calls. <laughs> and, <laughs> and finally I was like, what's the plan now? Like, how do I connect with them to like get them to get me there or in front of them? I, I was like, I need to meet you guys in person. Um, and it was lucky because around that time where like the conversations were kind of getting to a point where it was like, okay, we're either going to go through diligence or we're not. Um, they had like kind of a pitch day and they, they brought me, brought me to London. So I had to go to London and, and pitch this in front of all of the CEOs of De Beers and all of their top stakeholders. Oh, wow. And it was like, Oh God. Okay. Like that, that from that perspective, like that's where you have to find your inner power, uh, you know, and, and sort of just say, I can do anything and I'm going to do this and I'm going to own this and I'm going to kill it. Right. And it was like so scary to, to do that. But I put together this presentation and I just went in there and I had this like out of body experience when I was in the presentation, kind of like when you're like watching yourself, like you're like, you become the fly on the wall watching yourself. I don't know if it's ever happened to you. It's happened to me a few times in my life, but I just knew that I did a really good job. You know, I, I felt really good about that. And I was like, you know what? I walked away from it being like, if they invest or they don't, like I did a really good job in that moment. And I did everything that I could do, right, to make this happen. Um, and they thought the same thing and it all worked out. That is incredible. Um, so happy for you. And I hope that that's a massive partnership for you moving forward. With all you've done, you, three different companies now, you're, you're growing Gemis at this point, raised funding, done all these different things. Accomplish a lot. How do you recharge and kind of unwind from, from work? I'm curious about that. Um, <laughs> that's a good question. So it's funny because I'm just, I don't know, I don't know why, but I've, I've never actually been someone that's had like also like an, like an easy um, life personally, uh, meaning I always have uh, issues with, with either family members who are sick or siblings who need me. Um, I'm, I'm sort of the mother hen. I'm, I am the leader, the supporter, the, um, I'm holding up a lot of people here. Um, yeah. so, but that's always definitely made me stronger. And I think sometimes, you know, the stronger people, we just, we get dealt what we can because we can handle it, to be honest with you. Um, so I don't get a ton of downtime. Um, I will tell you, I'm very lucky to have the most amazing husband, the most amazing relationship with another human. Um, this is a person who just wholeheartedly accepts me for every little bit of who I am and I do the same for him. And so that is incredible because I'm grounded in a relationship that's meaningful, that's passionate and filled with love always. And so I, I lean on him a lot. You know, he is my, my safety net. He is my sense of calm, my sense of uh, love always. And so like, 
that is awesome. You know, that is the most loving, <laughs> loving thing ever for me. And, um, you know, I go in and out of times where I'm like, I feel more balanced than I'm like right now, for example, I'm just, there's a lot going on, um, personally and sure. professionally for me. So like, I am having one of those months where I'm just like, ah, <laughs> and then realizing like, okay, I need to like meditate and do when I meditate, when I do yoga, when I work out, I definitely feel better. Right. When I, yeah. uh, when I do therapy, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of therapy. I think founders need to talk about stuff and get things out. Um, when I do that once or twice a month, I feel better. Um, when I have time to, t I always try to take a Sunday off. That's a big thing for me. I'm like, I need one day a week where fine, I'll be answering Slack and I'll be like sort of available, but I'm not going to be at my desk all day. I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to, you know, do stuff for myself and I'm going to go have lunch with my husband and I'm going to go enjoy myself. Right. So it's just the little things. Um, I have a dog. She's really great and like is always happy and loves me. So that's really helpful. Having Aww. like an animal around is really nice, you yes. know? <laughs> um, but you know, you, you can't be perfect all the time. That's what I'm learning. Right. So I try also not to be too hard about myself on myself when I'm like, Oh, I didn't meditate or I didn't do this or that. I'm like, you know what? I have a lot going on and that's okay right now. I find that to be the funniest part when like the meditation thing, it's supposed to only just be helpful, right? Like it's the whole point of it is like help you. Then you get oh, like upset guilt. as an entrepreneur. Oh, <laughs> no, the guilt that you don't do it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I've noticed that too. I had to let that go because I was like, okay, like, you know, you set all your, especially as a type A human, you set yes. your list to do list for your business. And then you also kind of mm -hmm. set to do list for your life right? Like all the things you have, that becomes a to-do list. You have two to-do lists, right? So I started yeah. realizing that it's not about that. It's just about like, when I can take the time off, I will. And mm -hmm. I'm going to have loving, meaningful relationships. And I'm going to laugh a lot. And I'm going to not try to take things too seriously. Um, one thing I also realized when I was growing Hutch, because I was, that was, I was so young and I was, hadn't really done it in that intensity before. So what I found myself doing was like any given day, I'd either be on cloud nine, like driving home, blasting music, singing atop my lungs, like I'm going to, this company's <laughs> going to be amazing. Or I would like literally be crying, you know, like would have to pull over because I couldn't stop crying, like that type of sadness. Oh my God, tomorrow the company is going to end, right? It was so <laughs> black and white. Um, and, and that's what like happened to me for like probably a solid year of like a lot of emotions, but high and low for all of us. And I just, I started realizing that when I thought things were going to be great and amazing, the next day I'd find out, oh, like some other shitty thing happened or like it wasn't as great as we thought, or I'd be driving the next day I'd find out, oh, it's going to be fine. Right. So I yeah. started learning, like you have to stay in the middle because it's never as good or as bad as you think it's going to be at the end of the day. Right. It just isn't. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's been really helpful for me too. I'm just, I think I'm like a more, like I'm a wiser, more grounded human just from going through all of that. Cause it's just, you get thrown crazy curveballs um, all the time as a founder. And if you're gonna, if you're gonna let them affect you, right. Or you're going to get too excited or too sad, things change all the time, right? You just have to like stay level headed. You have to stay calm, stay patient. Um, and not take it so freaking seriously. It's like at the end of the day, that's what I think it's a lot about. I'm like, okay, like it's going to be fine. <laughs> like you're going to be okay. Uh-huh, exactly. <laughs> Where can people go to learn more about Gemist and all that you're working on, Madeline? Let's see. Well, you can follow us on Instagram. So we're at Gemist Co. on Instagram. And um, I have an Instagram too. That's probably my most active 
social platform. It's uh, at Mad, M-A-D, Fraser, F-R-A-S-E-R. Um, and then, yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn or wherever. I'm, I'm always happy to lend a helping hand to any founders out there that are struggling or that just want to talk. <laughs> I have a huge <laughs> network of founders and I find it so lovely to just have a glass of wine and just chat about what we're going through because we all have the same problems, actually. <laughs> That's what you realize. We're all going through the same thing, no matter how shiny a company looks or how perfect someone looks. We've all got a lot of stuff going on. So we've got to support yeah. each other, lift each other up, and help each other through this. This is this is a team effort, not just for your actual team, but for all of us together, I think. Absolutely. And if people want to see the website, gemis.co, by the way, just want to throw that out there. And Madeline, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Thank you. I had so much fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. The Weekly Grind, which is my weekly newsletter, comes out every single Friday. You can find it at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. This is filled with tips, tools, and strategies for growing your business. If you want to know how to launch a business, how to grow it, how to get it off the ground, find employees, all these different things. There's a few tips, tools, and strategies every single week I deliver right to you. Justgogrind.com slash newsletter. Check it out. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you in the next episode.